Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Megan. And this is Cinema Super Collider. Where we're smashing up cinema one movie at a time. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here, my friend. Can your heart stand the shocking fact about cinema? On this, our 100th episode of Cinema Super Collider, we wanted to bring something special to you, our listeners. Something that I talk about a lot with strong language, because I have a great deal of passion about this particular film. Not necessarily positive passion, but passion nonetheless. It's right, as a gift to you, our listeners, we endured my least favorite film. Not of all time, perhaps, but it's on the list. We watched Snowpiercer for you, all for you listeners, Snowpiercer. This is kind of your white whale, isn't it? You're, hate- you're kind of Ahab, and this is your, this is your, this has been like underwater. This has been sort of swimming there for almost two years now, like underwater, like lurking. Waiting. It, it makes me angry. It's a movie that makes me angry. Yeah, it makes me angry too. I was surprised at how, like, it, I, I was trying very hard to keep calm and just realize, you know, let the anger th- flow through me and be like a reed in the wind and bend with the anger, the mm-hmm. flows of anger, and then stand up. And I couldn't do it. It, it just, it, you get, I just get to the point of where my, like my cup runneth over with anger and it yeah. spills out all over the sofa and like gets my shirt all full of anger. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking, Eric and Megan, you guys watch some truly miserable, stupid, poorly made movies that you gush over on this podcast. And it is true. We do. We watch some fantastic film failures that we love. Films that try hard and fail even harder. and. We should say Snowpiercer is a film that had money and it has stars in it. Chris Evans is in this film. Chris Evans, of course, is Captain America and, and Johnny Flame. And Johnny Flame on. Johnny Storm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Human Torch. From, from one of the many Fantastic Four. The original. Well, no, not the no, original. Not the original. That's the, the Corman film. The original big budget non Roger Corman movie. <laughs> So the second iteration of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, he's in other things too, I guess. He's been all the superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Evans is in it. Uh, John Hurt is in it. Tilda Swinton is in this movie. Tilda Swinton is in this movie. Ed Harris is in this movie. And several Korean actors of note who- A couple of them from The Host. Yes, from The Host, who is the director of this film, is the director of The Host. Which is a movie I really- like a lot. I won't say love, but I really like that movie a lot. Yes, I enjoy that movie quite a bit. So it's not that we dislike any of the people involved in this movie, because we do. We genuinely enjoy films that these people have made before, after. And you enjoyed the graphic novel. I... (sighs) You won't say you enjoyed it. I will say that I appreciate the graphic novel. I read... Now, the graphic novel, this... This particular property was based on a French graphic novel called Le Transperce-Neige, which essentially means Snowpiercer in I French. Thought meant, I thought it meant like you were in a trance when they pierced your nose. Well, no. Ne- <laughs> neige in French oh, okay. is snow. Okay. Yes. So, it, it and it's in three parts. I did not read all three parts because this film is not based on all three parts. This film is essentially based on the very first part. Would you say... It's it's loosely based on. It is. It is loosely based I mean, on the, the first main part. ideas in the graphic novel are translated into the film. The title, the concepts, the sort of arc of the story, but it the film de- departs kind of radically from 
the things that happen in the graphic. I also read the graphic novel and I didn't like it. Yeah, Eric hated the graphic novel. I didn't hate it as much as the film. I just disliked it. You just didn't like it. Yeah. It didn't make me angry. I just read it and thought like, this wasn't very good. So, I didn't like the art. I didn't like the story. Yeah, you you were kind of hung up on things like the art and the story and stuff. No, Whereas I I appreciated the story and the concepts within the graphic novel to a degree that you did not, and were also hung up on. things Well, like trust that. Megan's uh, opinion about graphic novels because she's well versed in the world of graphic novels. It doesn't. And I'm no, not, that's not. That's my bullshit. Thing. You can appreciate a graphic novel and not be well versed in graphic novels. No, no, no. I'm just saying that you have a like, as far as like from a critical opinion perspective, you've seen a lot of graphic novels, and this is just like one of maybe four or five that I've ever seen. So it, whatever, yeah. it doesn't really matter. No, graphic, I mean it's you like that. I didn't look. Yeah. Graphic novels are just a different medium by which we tell stories, and in fact, graphic novels are essentially a medium by which we bridge storytelling in books to storytelling in film because essentially a graphic novel is a storyboard which is what films are are made from what dreams are made from nightmares are made from well maybe in this case who knows now so i did i wanted to i i really threw myself on this grenade for you guys because i was like well all right so I should at least, I should at very least go and read the source material to see if I genuinely hate this story or I just genuinely hate this film. Now, I must say that there were several times when I had mentioned that maybe we should do Snowpiercer and you always kept putting it off by saying, oh, I know I need to read the graphic novel first. And I must say that I was kind of thinking in the back of my head that Maybe it wasn't that you wanted to read the graphic novel so much as you just couldn't face watching this film again. Well, you were kind of yeah. using that to put off seeing the film. Is I, that is, is there at least a little part of that in there? Maybe. Well, no. Am I being unfair? No, actually, no. Okay. This is the same. I wanted to approach this film the same way that I wanted to approach certain um, role playing games that I have had negative feelings towards because it's not fair. I haven't like really experienced them. I haven't really experienced this particular film except for a knee-jerk reaction to it the first time I watched it. And, you know, I wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt, which is why I really wanted to be able to at least read the graphic novel that it was based on before I really hated on it full force. Because who knows, maybe the actual source material was good and movie fuckery made it shitty. Now, I... I don't, I did not have as strong a reaction to the graphic novel as Eric did. I actually think that it's a little ham handed and a little bit awkward at points, but I think that the graphic novel actually has some interesting sort of meditations on the idea of class warfare and what it is to have a scarcity of resources in the future, you know, in, in maybe a situation where climate change has has created scarcities and what will happen when that scarcity is imposed upon humanity. Because the graphic novel really does look at things like food and water and and space and how those resources are commanded, uh, it, the corruption that happens on the train. There's a lot of interesting things in the graphic novel that they do not put in the film because they're not action-based, you know? Yeah, I, I agree about that. I I just... I didn't have a violent reaction against the graphic novel. I just didn't care for it. Yeah. Some of the most interesting things in the graphic novel, they completely leave out in the movie. And some of the least interesting things in the graphic novel become huge plot points in the movie. There's an element of this this sort of cleaning product, byproduct drug in the movie, Chronal. Which is in the it's in the graphic novel as well, but it's it's a small factoid in the graphic novel. It's just a thing that people have created to use because they're bored. They're on a train. They're trapped, and this is what life is. Life is being trapped on a train. And even if you're in the front of the train, where you know you have these luxuries, quote unquote. I mean, what does that mean? Exactly. What does it mean to be in the good part of the train? Well, you're still wanting to escape. Yeah, I mean, it, it, essentially in the graphic novel, it's a, what is it, a solvent or something? It's sort of like sniffing glue. It's like the equivalent of sniffing glue. It's something that would be used as a it's cleaner. It's like huffing, huffing a cleaning product, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically like that. It's one way to get high yeah. on this sort of thing. 
And it's not explained that way in the film at all. It's just ridiculous. Well, in the film, it's like, it's, it's industrial byproduct. It's garbage, but it's not garbage. It's an explosive. It's, um, something that can a get floor you. Floor wax and a dessert topping. Right. All it, in it's one. It's just all this garbage. It's so anyway, so, so, so there are some vast differences between the graphic novel and the movie. And it's to me, the things that they highlighted in the movie are just because they needed something to push the action of the film forward. And then the things that they've decided, the human moments in the, in the movie that they've decided to cherry pick from the graphic novel, they don't earn. And it makes me angry. Yeah. And, and actually reading the graphic novel and seeing that those human moments that, that I didn't even know existed in the graphic novel until I read it, that they put in the film, which I already thought that they didn't earn, the fact that I know that they were part of the original story and that the movie did not earn those moments made me even more mad. Made made the hate even stronger. It made my hate so much. It made the hate... Feel the hate it, flow through oh yes, you, man. It flowed through me so much more. Anyway, so... You you held yourself in, in control, though, as we watched it. Oh, yeah. I was the one who was sloshing over with... Oh, my God. Eric with, was so mad. <sighs> I was like, wow, okay. I mean, I I already knew I was going to hate this, yeah. but Eric was very much... Okay. So anyway, if you have not seen Snowpiercer, Eric, what happens in Snowpiercer the movie? It is a futuristic dystopian vision where the Earth has been frozen in some kind of like super ice age. The only humans left alive are on this train with an infinity engine like a uh like an unstoppable sort of perpetual motion machine train engine and it's now all of society is takes place in this long moving tube the low classes are in the very very back of the train where they are poverty stricken and the upper classes are in the front of the train where they live in the lap of luxury Things happen in the back of the train that start the plot moving forward, and our hero, Johnny Goodface, Captain America, whatever, what's his name? Did his name call? is Curtis Everett. Curtis Everett. I, of course, will remember that. Curtis Everett decides that he, along with a bunch of other people, he's not really the leader, but he is, are going to bust out from the back of the train and get up to the front of the train, ostensibly to rescue a couple of kids who've been kidnapped from the back of the train. They eventually do this, and he reaches the front of the train, finds the, the, the deep, dark secret to how this whole thing works, and they blow the whole train up, killing everybody except for a few who are able to escape through the side into the frozen wilderness, and they see a polar bear in the distance. The end. The end. Now, that's, that's the friendly sort of way that I can describe it. Yes. Now, I just want to say that I came to this film really wanting to like it. And I remember when it came out, there was some controversy about it. It was by this director of The Host, who I liked. And there was some sort of business about how it wasn't going to get wide release. And then it got a release at uh, several film festivals and people went crazy and loved it. And then it was like on a tour. It didn't, it was like it went from one city to another city. And it was sort of like the, you know, like the Blair Witch Project. They did this kind of BS thing about write in and demand that the movie can come to your town sort of thing. So there was this, this buzz about this film. And then all the people that I kind of know and like and followed on the internet back in those days said it was fantastic. And being the left wing liberal that I am, I love the idea of like this class warfare on the train and the lower class people overthrowing the evil higher class people. And it was, I was primed, man. I was pumped. And when I finally watched this film, it made me so, so angry. I really, really wanted to like it. And I think that might be part of where my anger flows from because otherwise it's it's hard for me to justify being that angry it's just a stupid movie with a bunch of stupid plot holes and mistakes and stuff and so like i've seen a million movies like that but this one really really got to me and really made me angry and it still does and i have no hope for this movie i've seen it i know it's a piece of garbage and i know that i hate it and yet it still makes me angry every time i see it and 
I think now why it makes me angry is that it is ridiculous, silly element on top of ridiculous, silly element on top of illogical plot hole on top of illogical plot hole on top of stupid uh, uh, sort of motivations for people to do things. Characters pop in and out and we're never introduced to ones that are supposedly meaningful and other ones that aren't become meaningful. It's like it's like at every turn where they had to make a choice to do something, they did it wrong. And it, it just makes me angry at the filmmakers or something. And I just, I can't believe, every time I watch it, there's something new that I didn't see last time that makes me angry. And I really, truly wanted to find some way that I could like see around these problems. When we screened it this time, I was thinking like, God, there's got to be something that I can see this time that's going to help to explain some of these other problems that I had that I kind of vaguely remember because I hadn't seen it for like, I don't know, three, four years, something like that. Mm. And no, yeah. it didn't. Right. Yeah. And in a simple story like this, how how hard is it? I mean, I, it would be pretty easy to not fuck this up. First of all, first of all, let me say that I think the concept is flawed from the very outset. The idea that all of humanity exists on a moving train um I mean, is maybe it's sort of metaphorical, you know, the, the planet is moving around the earth, humans are moving through time, so that all of humanity being on some sort of moving thing would, you know, is, is important sort of like thematically, but it kind of isn't. And the fact that it's on a moving train creates all kinds of problems that aren't addressed well and don't need to be there. This could have been on a spaceship like a, a generational spaceship flying from the destroyed planet Earth to so like Battlestar Galactica trying to find somewhere to land. Or it could have been like the world was destroyed and it was like the last huge apartment building in some place, some area, and like outside the devastation zone, like and everybody had to live in this one little location. Any other way of doing it besides being on a train would have made more sense to me. The things about a train that are unique, the fact that it has to keep moving, the fact that it's linear and that you have to pass through individual cars, every single way that they use that is like messed up. And by every single way, I mean maybe 90% of the things, but it's so unnecessary and such a a flawed concept from the beginning. I I just don't get it. Well, the one thing that works really well, I'm not going to say works really well. I, I think the one thing that the one question that is posed in an interesting manner in the graphic novel, which is not posed at all in an interesting way or at all. So the one the one thing that comes up in the graphic novel that does not at all come up in the movie is what happens when sections of the train are taken over by groups of people that are not the people in charge. They're not like the government. They're not the train running entity. What happens when criminal elements take over pieces of the train? How do you get from one section to the next? You know, do you have to bribe people to get through? Do you have to, you know, do you have to somehow broker agreements with these elements? Like, what happens when the authority is not actually in authority? And that doesn't come up at all in this, in the movie. Which was a really interesting section of the graphic novel. They also, uh, sections of the graphic novel where it's like, well, this guy is in charge of making food. So he gets anything he wants because he's the food guy and we kind of have to kiss up to him. And there's nobody like that in the movie. And th- that was another interesting section of the graphic novel. There's like the rabbit guy. Cause in the, in the, in the world of the graphic novel, there's not like an aquarium fucking car where like there's manta rays and goddamn salmon swimming around. That, that doesn't even make sense because there's like freshwater fish and like saltwater fish in the same goddamn aquarium. How does that work? Well, salmon could live in a freshwater That's and true, a saltwater they can. environment. So. All right, whatever. And then there's- Call back to what the fish. Then there's sides of motherfucking beef. They've got one whole car in the movie that's just sides of beef. Where did that come from? They've been riding that train for 17 years in the movie. Yes. So either that beef is 17 years old, which is, I guess, is possible. Right. But there's chickens hanging on the wall. Where did the chickens come from? Um, 
they, you know, like, okay, so like, where'd the chickens come from? So you go like, Eric, Megan, what are you about? You know, it's a movie about this and that. Why are you worrying about where the chickens came from? Because you're making us <laughs> ask the questions. Don't put them there. That's all we're saying. Just don't you put don't them You don't need to show us that. Yeah. What, the, and I guess that's the thing is like, this is a movie that prides itself on details, but then at the same time, fucks those details up. Yeah, it shows you all kinds of details that it doesn't need to show you that aren't there that to to drive the story forward no. or provide any kind of important elements Ex- and, except except to show you that that is a thing that exists in the world. Right? right? And they get it completely wrong though. Like 9 times out of 10 get it wrong. So the first part of the movie we see a man's arm frozen off by the ex- Extreme cold temperatures that exist in this world. So we've, from the jump, and this is a thing that movies do for us, right? They show us things about a world we don't know so that we can then establish a baseline of knowledge because we don't know about this world so that then later on in the film, when things happen, we have a baseline of knowledge as to why something is dangerous or good or scary or happy or whatever, right? So in the first part of the film, we are shown a man being punished by having his arm frozen off in the extreme weather outside of the train. Every way that that whole sequence is done is wrong and upsetting to me. I know. For science reasons. For Not even for science reasons. For the reason that somehow aboard a train that they built 17 years ago that had nothing to do with escaping the frozen apocalypse, they had built into the train some sort of hole in the wall with a flange that fits a human arm as a ritualistic arm freezing shattering punishment thing. Or maybe they decided to do that way back in the prisoner cars, like, Ten years ago, after they've been going seven, that doesn't make fucking any sense. If you cut a hole in the thing while it's that fast and it's moving and freeze, you die in a minute with an exposure. They couldn't have drilled a hole in the wall. So this had to have been created way, 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 way back when, which doesn't make any goddamn sense. Here's a way to do it. If you want to do, if you want to have a punishment of somebody freezing a limb off, then you have a bunch of thugs hold this guy's arm out some like crack in the window and some other people like hold blankets up there and like, okay, there you go. Yeah. His arm is frozen off. They open this little case and it's got like foam cut into these shapes where there's a, a ceremonial scissors that is used to cut off the clothing around someone's arm when they do this punishment to them and a ceremonial hammer of shattering that they use to shatter someone's arm. Like, this is something that happens often enough that they have to do. Like, and you go like, well, why show that then? Why not just like cut his arm off? Or, or like, uh, well, and, and uh, can you, can you hear my frustration with this? Right. And so, so this is just one example of a detail which we are presented with to show something about the world, which then later on is, like is is one hundred percent shown to be not a thing that it should be existing in this world because we are then shown later on as we wander through the children's educational car which exists on this train that this train was designed and created and made as a luxury liner train and it just happened that there was this big environmental crisis and that people who had tickets to be on this train just happened to be the survivors of this big environmental crisis. The people who ended up in the tail of the train were stowaways, quote-unquote, stowaways. Really, these were just people who were trying to not die and got on the train as a last resort, and they got locked in the tail because they didn't have tickets to be on the train. So there shouldn't be a prison car, because this was a luxury train that was built to go around the world. And they certainly wouldn't build a purpose-built punishment hole for arm freezing in a train that is a luxury train built to go around the world during normal climate times. Right. Uh, but so, then later yeah. on, okay, so we've, we've established. So we could, I could talk for a half hour about just the first 15 minutes of this movie. Well, everything that's wrong. Exactly. 
Well, and, and, and here's the huge difference between the movie and the world that we are shown in the graphic novel. The world we are shown in the graphic novel does not start in the tale of the train. The world of the graphic novel starts when a man escapes from the tale of the train and is found not in the tale of the train. Because we don't ever get to see the tale of the train in the graphic novel. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is later explained by Chris Evans in a monologue in the movie. Which counteracts everything we saw in the first half hour of the film. In the tale of the train. In the tale of the train. Which is one of those things that this movie doesn't deserve the moments that it tries to evoke from its people. It doesn't get it. Because everything that we've seen about the tale of the train is that people live there relatively comfortable for a dystopian future in which they are the oppressed people. It's like Mad Max world on, on a train car. Yeah, it's like the shitty... Um, Everybody's wearing rags. It's like the guys in uh, in uh, um, The Matrix, you know, they're all they're all wearing rags. It's and, the mining community in Battlestar Galactica. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's, we've it's seen not it nice. all. It's, it's not, not it, nice. No, it's terrible. It's, it's dirty. Horrible. It's... Uh, where do the where does the waste go that they make? Did we didn't see? I mean, you don't have to see toilets we don't, look, or anything. Look, it, there's an MST3K thing here where you know, uh, the you know, the the eating and sleeping and okay. science stuff. Right. There's some, but they show us a lot of other science things. So. They do, and that's the problem is that they they have declared that we don't need to know about the eating and the sleeping and the other science stuff. But then they're like, oh, but by the way, here's the eating and the sleeping and the other science stuff. So you don't get to, in your movie, say details are very important, which we will then show you we don't give a shit about. Like when they shoot through a window, this life-saving train, <laughs> this life-saving train, which they have established over and over and over and over the fuck again. This train is life. Outside is inhospitable. If your skin, if your body goes outside, it will freeze. To the point where you can smash it off of your body. Yeah, you can get approximately like 100 yards from the train before you freeze solid like a statue. We right. see some people that, that happen to. That tried to escape the yeah. train. Yeah. They are a landmark. They're essentially the green boots of this train. Right, right. It's like, look, they only got 100 yards before they froze solid. They're still standing. Yeah. Yeah, they froze they're, like they're, in their in their stance. They're a they landmark were. that they teach to children as a as a reason that you don't go outside the train. Yeah, so if you're one of the boss guys on the train, you probably wouldn't shoot holes in the window. Right, except that, your train. that, you know, if you're really mad at Chris Evans and his, like, band of guys from the back of the train, I guess you decide that the best way to shoot someone is to shoot through the super thick pane of glass in one train car to shoot into another super thick pane of glass in another train car. Well, because the train is making like a right angle yeah. turn, or not even a right angle it's turn. Like it's making a 180 degree turn in mm -hmm. some area. Yeah. And so the train goes around a complete curve so that if you shoot from some back car, you can shoot across this great divide on this bridge and into another car that's way up front because it's bent around 180 degrees. You know why all these scenes are in there? Because someone thought of them as good gags. They wanted to put these gags in the movie. Yeah. It's like, well, what if a punishment is freezing a guy's arm off because it's so cold outside? Great. And then what if they have like a special hole and a flange and it's a whole ritual of, oh, that's such a cool idea. Let's do that. Oh, and let's let's get uh uh, uh like we'll, we'll get some some crazy actress in and we'll put like weird false teeth on her and she'll put a boot on someone's head. That wow, that's so random and so absurd. Wow, that's so cool. And it's like okay, these are kind of it's like Tilda it's, Swinton's character adds absolutely nothing to this film. And we like Tilda Swinton. I love Tilda Swinton. And she's kind of one of the more fun people to watch in this movie. She affects a weird like West Country accent, which is distracting she has jacked up ugly teeth which she reveals to be false teeth why would you put in if you're luxury why would you put in jacked up ugly false teeth like uh, we'll never get we'll never even get to explain what happens in this movie because it's just a sequence of gags that somebody threw together and hung them on a story that's not that interesting. The, the, the first, the thing that kicks this off, let's get down to this. The thing that kicks this off is thugs from the front of the train, the rich train, come to the back and round up all the kids that are between like, what, four and six years old or something. Sure. And they, some lady, some weird lady comes by with a measuring tape and measures them and they're going to take them away. 
And then one of these little kids that we saw earlier, this del del delightful little moppet that we're supposed to care about over and above every other kid is hiding. And then they find him and grab him and take him away. And we're all supposed to go, not that adorable little moppet, even though he stole some food before and wouldn't give it to the adults who were relying on it for very important reasons. And they all laugh as he cutely runs away with this like supposedly crucial message to the resistance in the back of the train. And it's like, oh, little Johnny, he's running away with the message. Come here, Johnny. Let's see. What can I like? Fuck you, movie. Like, what the fuck? Why? Why? Ugh. This movie has I, I, a tone I, I, the, problem. The anger, the anger rises. The movie has a definite tone problem because on the one hand, we are supposed to be on the side of these rebels who are like this, like their circumstances are dire. But then you look at their circumstances and I mean, they're not good, but they're not dire. No, they're they're like happy, like 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 lowly serfs, but they have their own little happy thing. Well, I don't. I would not say happy is the right thing. No, about. they all have family units. There's a guy that draws little pictures of people. He draws them on like crinkly paper that's like burned at the edges. Yeah, they're and, like, oppressed. Like, they're not happy. They're no. they're they're not happy. They're no. but they're surviving. Right. In in and I guess that's the one thing that the, another thing that bothers me about this movie is the movie has set up a situation in this dystopian future world where we are led to believe that the only people that have survived this horrible climate calamity are on this train. There yeah, is that's, a that's what we're led to believe. There is a shortage of everything. Space, food, water, resources, people, everything. So if you are on the train, you are essentially one of the lucky people. Now, there is a disparity between your life if you live in the front of the train and the back of the train. Absolutely not a question. That is true. Somebody's eating steak and somebody's eating not steak, but you are alive. And we will find out that the people in the tail end of the train have been eating these protein gel bars. Yeah, it looks like Knox gelatin mixed with squid ink. Sure. And they discover what those protein bars are made out of. Crickets. Yes. No, roaches, something. Bugs. Bugs. Yeah. But they still eat them. It's food. Well, yeah. We, well, they show, they, they build up to that point and then and they look in there with shock. It's like, it's like a, a, a soy the green is made of people moment. You know, they look in there and we think when you, when I looked in there the first time, well, when I was watching the movie and they looked in this thing the first time, that's what I thought I was going to see. Like the corpses of, of people in their moldering or something like that, or, you know, yeah. some kind of thing like that. And it's like, no, it's a bunch of crickets being like ground up into some sort of cricket meal and then mixed into some sort of a protein bar, which is gross. But, you know, they've been, are, th that's all they've eaten their entire lives. Apparently. If you are starving, if you do not have food and this is your food, fuck you. It's better than catching the crickets by hand and eating them raw i suppose and then later we find out that actually what had been happening in the tail end of the train for the first few years that people had been trapped back there is they had been eating people yeah it was the road in the back of the train yeah, yeah. so Matt first McCarthy. first it was just people like catching other people unwillingly and eating them and their babies and shit and then it was like, well, people would cut their arms off and like give up their arms so people could eat people. But it's like, okay, so you started with eating people and now you're eating not people. Somebody's making you protein gel bars and sending them to the back. Right. Right. So what the fuck is your problem? Well, because it's icky. What, because they wanted to show that scene with the crickets more, and the gears being ground up I'm in sorry. the machine. What is That's more, all. What is more fucking icky? Eating Bob's arm, and you've seen Bob use his arm recently, or eating crickets you've never met. Let's talk a little bit about thermodynamics, okay? Sure. All right. You ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. It's a little thing called conservation of energy, you know, conservation of energy. First of all, let's say that the train is a perpetual motion machine, which they hand wave away in the graphic novel in a way that fucking annoys the hell out of me because they purport to explain it. 
they go into detail explaining how it works as a perpetual motion machine. But it's like the I, that it's like the idea a four year old would have of a perpetual motion machine. It's like, well, the train uses energy to turn the wheels and move the train forward, and then the forward mo- motion of the train turns a generator, which makes energy to make the wheels turn. There you go. It's a perpetual motion machine. Okay, I get it. Why don't? Why hasn't anybody thought of that? Brilliant. Fuck you, movie. But okay, or book, whatever. But okay, look, we're. I'm gonna give them the perpetual motion train engine. Fuck, that's fine. Okay, it's a perpetual motion. Some train French engine. guy thought that up, Eric. I, you know what? The it, uh, stupidity knows no nation or or boundaries. So good. Here we have this problem. You have people in the back who need food. Food comes in all different forms, but basically they need calories. Calories are a measure of energy, food energy. In order to keep 100 people alive and not have them starve, they need a certain amount of calories put into them. You have to develop enough calories of cricket meat to keep those people alive. Crickets don't grow out of air. Crickets need to consume even more calories than that in order to grow up to be their adult cricket selves. So somehow they had to get, a, a, like, say, like, you needed a million calories a week to feed the people in the back of the train. They needed 1.5 million calories a week to feed the crickets. What did they feed the crickets? It can't be dead people from the back of the train because that's not enough calories it's going to produce. You know what? This is the thing. Like, think about it. You don't have to fucking show us the crickets. Just show us that they're feed- they're eating these weird ass protein bars and move the fuck on. Which is what they do in the book. Yeah. In the book they're like they come upon a car because the the guy escapes from the back of the train and they're showing him sort of like the uh, like the the means of production just to like show him like hey, you know what? Like we're doing the best we can. And so they show him the means of production and there's one car that has like this weird organic thing in it yeah which is ridiculous too but i mean i was willing to cut that one some slack because it's like oh it's some it's the mother meat or whatever they call yeah, it right? they call it's it like, like the mother meat and they're like do you do we understand what this is honestly not really no we just are in charge of making sure that it continues to grow and that it gets parceled out to the people who need to have it. the perpetual motion machine of the train generates excess energy in the form of electricity and the electricity is turned into chemical energy in the center of this genetically engineered flesh cube which makes the cube grow that's also ridiculous but at least you go like okay fine but we don't waste a lot of time thinking about it. sure because you know what we waste a lot of time thinking about in this movie crickets crickets <laughs> and children uh, now, right. So they're in pursuit of these these two kids. Yes, they're t- important because they are the kids of two of the important adults in the movie. Right. Which you know that's a movie convention, whatever. But they needed something. Th- apparently, they've been taking kids from the back every however many months for seventeen years. No, this no, no. Is not something. Six months. Six months. Oh, six it's only months. six months. Yeah, it's only okay. been six months. All right. Okay. So yeah. this is a new thing that they're taking yeah, kids. Yeah, this from is the a back. new thing because all it, right, because later because we find out you know they take this journey, this incredible journey from the back of the train to the front of the train. Oh my! We see all of the important cars on this train of like I don't even know how many cars. Well, it is. and that's what this whole thing is about—the gag of showing each car. Each car is a is a gag. Right. Because in the in the graphic novel, this train is a thousand cars long. So that is. It's still kind of improbable, but at least, like, with a thousand cars, I mean, like, you could kind of be like, okay, so there's cars for people to sleep in, and there's cars for people to grow shit in, and there's cars for, okay, all right, fine. Thousand cars, whatever, great, fine. This seems to only have, like, about a hundred cars on it, and one of the cars is for children to learn in. There's a sauna car, there's a swimming pool car, there is a beauty a shop car, beauty shop car that has a bar in it, an There's aquarium car a, with a sushi uh, restaurant inside of it. Yes, a cold meat car, mm-hmm. a, uh, a cooler car with sides of beef, which we talked about earlier. There's and the, chicken corpses. There's the knitting slash orchard car. Yes, there's the orchard knitting sort of car with dirt and plants growing in it. Yeah. So at least they do have some plants growing. So someone thought about that at some point along the way, but no one wanted to really think about it enough. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. blah, 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 blah. Um, they also encounter a, like, a group of killers who all are armed with axes, and they slit open a codfish with the axe to 
get their axes wet with codfish blood before the 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 bad guys the the soldiers from the front of the train massacre the the rabble from the back of the train who are coming yes up in the axe fighting car okay so fine like this is just a thing to it's menace an empty, them and it's frighten just an them. empty car with just like three dozen axe murderers they gotta, in it they they wake up this dude who's a drug addict who knows the train like he's an engineer that knows how to open the doors on a train who's in the prison car is in the, the prison car he's in a little drawer like in a uh like a, like a like morgue. morgue kind of drawer and he wants his little daughter i guess to come with him and she has some sort of clairvoyant ability for the first five minutes she's there where she can put her hand on the door and tell what's on the other side then when it becomes important that she'd not have a clairvoyant ability because they have to be surprised, it just goes away. Yeah. I mean, like, oh, she has a clairvoyant ability. This is going to be interesting to see how this plays. No, it doesn't play out. Mm-mm, no, no. Just, it's, it's just, just not there. Yeah. How do you have... They even bothered to ask her at some point, hey, that was really interesting what you did with that clairvoyant thing back there. How did that work? Oh, look this way. Something else is happening. Never mind. Mm-hmm. You could have cut that scene out of the film completely, Just, but they didn't. They had to leave it in. Mm-hmm. Why? Because why am I getting angry now, Megan? Why am I still getting angry? Because every time you have to describe something from this movie, it's stupid as fuck. It's like going down a rabbit hole of stupid. It's yeah. like once it's 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 like like recursive. It's it's okay. Like, okay, you know yeah. what? Though no, here I'm gonna say one thing that I really liked in this movie. Okay, there's one guy I really like in this movie. Mm-hmm. He has no reason to be in this movie. He's not. There's no reason for him to be in the story at all. But he's cool. And I like him. There's this one guy from the tail section of the train. I don't remember his name. It doesn't matter. He's like Johnny Awesome One Punch Dude. And he's got tattoos all over his body. And they all say things like surrender with an exclamation point and die with an exclamation point. And he is the guy that you need to have fighting your fights for you. Because he's really good and he's kick-ass at fighting. So, like, early on, they're fighting this big crazy dude with a knife. And he comes, like, trotting up. Does some sort of weird like headlock and kills the guy. Yeah, he does some sort of kung fu maneuvers. I guess they've been training in the back of the train. I, I, kung fu. Who knows where these people train to do any of their shit? Because they're on a train and he there's was no born, room. That guy was born on the train. He was born was, on the train. Under 17 years old. So. Some, somewhere in the back of or the train. Or he was a baby when he came on. There's the train a kung fu guy that's teaching everybody kung fu fucking fighting. And yeah. then somewhere in the front of the train. There's no room in the back of the train to treat. treat Who's teaching people how to shoot guns? Well, you know. Who's just... who's teaching people how to shoot trick shots through glass into other train cars? Well, that was Johnny Goodface, and he was 30, so he, you know, or 32 or whatever, and so he had lived outside the train first, so maybe he had marksmanship training when he was a teenager. Yeah, after 17 years, he's going to do a trick shot? It's stupid. Yeah. They wanted to have that in as a gag. Like, wouldn't it be cool if the train bent 180 degrees so the cars in the back could see the cars in the front? And then the other guy goes, yeah, and they could shoot. They could shoot from one side to the other. That would not be cool. It's like, yeah, but it could be bulletproof glass, man. They could be standing there staring each other down. Yeah, and that would be really great. (sighs) Yeah, okay, great ideas, guys. That sounds really, really cool. Why don't you just do it in your game of, of... apocalypse world or something and and not or just a video a game like put it in a movie. fucking video game oh, that's Jesus. a video game thing okay bt okay there's bt dubs when they do this shooting through the windows and shit like one of the cars that they're doing the making holes giant holes in the subarctic weather windows is the swimming pool car and i'm sorry but there's two people that are still half naked in the swimming pool and they don't get out after the hole is made in i so i don't believe it fucking movie mm goddamn movie like uh, yeah. i would i would have been out of the fucking swimming pool when the guys started shooting their goddamn guns i uh, see now i'll tell you what i i'll tell you one thing i liked in this movie mm-hmm. i liked it when the soldiers all had dark vision glasses why they had them i'm not sure i mean they had them for this one specific reason i guess they thought that maybe someday that this exact thing would happen but here's the gag i like the gag the gag is all the soldiers have this dark vision thing uh, like like eye goggles. Yeah, like night vision glasses. Night, night vision glasses. Yeah, thank you for helping me. I'm 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 beside myself with with anger and and hate. Eric's right brain now. is shutting down from and, the hate. Right, and so the rebels come up from the back of the train, and then they cut the power, and the train goes into a tunnel. And the rebels were winning up to that point, and now 
they are all in pitch black dark and they can't do shit. And the guys from the front of the train massacre the hell out of them. It's like you playing Outlast. Yeah, it's like me playing Outlast. It's like when your battery dies on your stupid uh, camera. Your your uh, your night vision battery dies on your camera and you're like fucked. Yep. I'm, I'm in a place in that game where I'm kind of fucked. I may have to backtrack so that I've got more batteries because there's no way I can get through that level yeah. without the batteries. That's neither here nor there. But I liked that idea. I liked, first of all, the idea that they had the night vision thing and the train in the tunnel and then they had the upper hand. And I also liked it that they carried out this grotesque massacre of all these people from the back it's not like the people from the back like overcame them one of the guys shouts from the middle of the train all the way to the back of the train yeah. bring me a fire thousand car train yeah motherfucker yeah i would have and i turned to megan and i said it would have taken exactly three seconds of movie time to show like a bunch of guys turning their heads and yelling back down the train hey bring bring the fire bring the fire Bring the fire, bring the fire, and then see that. And that would take in literally three seconds in the movie to show that. And then you would, then there wouldn't be a question there. I mean, but no, they, that's like they had to, they had the economy of storytelling, Megan. They couldn't put that in. That would have made the movie too long to put all those details in. Yeah. So they didn't put that detail in. They just put in a bunch of other stupid details. We get to see like the extended rave car with drugs. Fuck. Yeah. All right. All right. I think we've covered enough of the details of what of what's going on in this train because I mean honestly, I could go on and rave about Okay, but there's one thing that we need to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I I I, I know where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. So You called it the first time we saw the, the Oh film. yeah. You you said you said to me the mm-hmm. first time we saw this together, you said, "Oh, this is not going to happen because if this if this is true, then I'm going to, I will never forgive this movie. Yeah. And I was like, oh, come on, Megan. That's, that, yeah, that's, that would be, that would be, that would be too stupid even for this movie. So don't worry about that. I do have a pretty good gift of calling out the secrets of movies by about the beginning of the second act. You really do. You I'm, really do. I'm good at it. It's like a gift. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I spoil myself for movies so often that, like, I just know, I just know what's going to happen. But the first time we watched this movie, I started doing the mental arithmetic in my head because I was like, what happened to those motherfucking kids? And then I knew what happened to those motherfucking kids. Because the secret to Snowpiercer, the movie, is the train runs on children. Wait. It's a perpetual motion machine. Huh? Like, oh, what no, does it no, burn? No. It only no. burns children as fuel. I <laughs> no, mean, what, no. what does that? No, no, no. I mean, because like, no, it's dumber than that. No, they hook up. It's like the wonder of a child, the brain of a child. They, they hook it up to no. a thing because it needs to have that that open mind nope. of a child sort of thing. No, no, no. It's, it's not. Like, no, it's the train about six months back. Like a part broke. Couple parts broke. You know, and the engine's still fine, but the parts, they just, they don't have a way to replace them. Yeah, six months ago, right? Yeah, yeah like right. six months before. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so, you know, they can't put a person in the place of the part because they're too big. So they could cram a, like a five-year-old kid in there to just like re- repetitively do the motion of that one part. He's which, like scraping oil out of a sump or grease out of a thing. Yeah, a like hole. goop. He's reaching into a hole, turning his hand, and then pulling this lump of grease out yep. repetitively. Over and over right. again. Mm-hmm. So much that it's almost like a ritual. Yep, which yep. The- so much that it's a ritual that everybody who's in the religious car that believes in the holy goodness of the train does this as some sort of a repetitive ritual thing. Yes, that they apparently hadn't known about until six months ago when that part broke, and now it's ingrained in them as a ritual. Right. Even the even the guy who leads the train knows that that ritual movement. Right. Because it six over that six months, it just it burrowed into their unconscious, right? Right. That they just do it reflexively when they talk about the train. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Yep. Sure. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's it. Six months. Children. <sighs> the train runs on children. What does the other kid do in the front? He gets like this little capsule comes out and he like climbs up the staircase and then locks himself into this little seat and this little capsule and the door shuts and Chris Evans goes, no, Billy, don't get in the front. And then the door closes and it slides into the front of the train. No fucking clue. What does he do there? What is what is what what part is broken that it needs? A, is, there's a little 
child-sized seat built into that contraption. Well, apparently... Did they have a child-sized robot before that was... Who knows? <sighs> so clear, clearly, yeah, clearly that part didn't require... A, like, that part didn't break six months ago or whatever. That's just... They just throw a child in there because they're lazy. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and Ed Harris gets the monologue near the end. About... About, like, stuff. how... How he's God, but he's an evil God. Basically, yeah. Right? Or he's, he is the, he's like an Old Testament. This is like, this is time for religion with Eric. Jesus. You know, it's like, yeah. Well, I don't know that he's Jesus. No, he no, no, he's God. He's yeah, God. He's God. He doesn't sacrifice himself. Chris Evans is kind of Jesus, but he's the Old Testament God where he says, like, you know, some people just need to die. This is my world. I've created it. And there are certain times when I feel the need to purge the train of 72% of the population because this is a balanced world and we have to make hard choices. And I'm the one here to make those choices. And who's to say what's good and what's not besides me? Because I'm the god of this train. I'm getting old and I will die and I will need someone to replace me soon. But for now, I am the god. You must all worship me and everything I know in my power, but I also don't care for human life, which yep. is just like the Old Testament God, you know? It's Pretty like, much. believe me, I'm good, even though I do nothing but evil things to people, constantly, all the time. And it is revealed that his compatriot, uh, what's his name, Gilliam, who is Chris Evans' friend from the tail end of the car, who's played by John Hurt, has been like in cahoots with the Ed Harris God character. Which makes no goddamn sense at all. He was in cahoots to the level where he sliced his own arm off, conscious, aware, alert, to feed people in the back. This was part of a long game he was running. He came back like 10 years ago to groom people. But this is fucked up, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fucked up. It makes no sense. If I, You know, I, and I've said it on many other episodes, when we talk about this episode... If it was any one or two or three or four of these things, I might have like been okay. Yeah. Like eh, it's a it's a silly sci-fi movie. Look, and you it's- know me. I love my symbolism. I love being like punched in the face with it. Like punch, 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 smash, punch, uppercut, combo. Like mash them buttons on that controller. Just do it. I love that shit. <laughs> I hate this movie. It's so fucking stupid. And uh, the only, like, the one thing that I kind of enjoyed about the end of the first, uh, book of the graphic novel is you get to the end of the graphic novel and it has essentially this, there's no children running the train in the graphic novel. So thumbs up, kudos for that. Number one. Yeah. You don't need children running the train. You didn't need to have any kids no. driving this plot at all. Oh, fuck. They, the, ah! the thing is, is that they could Why? have, they could have just used the graphic novel's justification for getting, for, for essentially thinning the herd on the train, which was because he had been in a essentially like quarantined, closed off section of the tail end of the train as our main character makes his way through the train to the front of the train. He infects everyone in the train with a virus because they've been quarantined in the tail end of the train the entire time. And so everybody in the train gets sick and dies. And so he's left as basically the sole survivor at the front of the train. The train crashes and we get kind of the same ending. I I didn't like that for a few reasons, but you know what? That makes at least makes some kind of sense. It makes more sense. You can than- hand wave a lot of the dumb ideas away and just say, "Well, you know, some super virus, whatever." Yeah, I mean, okay, fine. At, at very virus. least, like, at very least, it, it makes more sense than just like, "Fuck it." The train gets derailed because explosion. Mm. You needed to have Chris Ever- uh, Chris Evans. I want to call him Chris Everett. I don't know. It's like well, it's the, the Curtis ta- Everett. Oh, it's Curtis Everett. Yeah, like, so I think I just called him Chris Everett. But yeah, I meant I meant Curtis Everett or Chris Evans. Oh well, Chris Everett was a famous tennis player way back in the day. Yeah, I so know, I but like, that but but that was a she. Hey, yes. Yeah. Anyway, Chris Evans, Curtis Everett. Yes. Needed to be a full on hero in this yeah that's right maybe it was maybe it was chris evans and his agent that insisted on that maybe it was just a poor screenplay to start with i tend to think it's got to be the second one because the rest of the screenplay sucks ass well it was it was it was written for the film by the director i think his name is bong joon ho Ho, yeah 
He's and he's great. And I've seen some other things. He's got this that Okja Okja movie that's on uh, streaming on Netflix now, which is totally on the nose and has a huge huge message. Uh, and uh, uh, is annoying in many many ways, but it's not fucked up like this. It's a no. good movie. He didn't do that weird like ghost vampire movie, did he? That we uh, were confused by. No, I don't think that was him. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, we saw a ghost vampire movie that was done by a Korean director that was recommended. It was to, like, so was, confusing. Was very confusing. I don't even remember the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. So, so yeah, it was directed by Bong Joon Ho and he wrote the screenplay. But I mean, what, what he needed to do, what they decided to do was they had to make the Chris Evans character, uh, heroic. He had to be a hero. And so he had to have all these tragedies in his life and he had to have noble purposes in coming to the front and all of these things rather than what it was in the graphic novel, which was just, I'm an angry guy. I've had it. I'm going to fight, fight my way up to the front of the train and see who runs this thing or die in the process because fuck my life. Yep. Okay. That's bleak and it doesn't cover a lot of like motivational interests but fuck that's all you need that's all you needed in the in the graphic novel he meets someone along the way a woman that he kind of falls in love with I mean, there, there, there's this a relationship of convenience, which you can see in those kind of like stressful times, whatever. But then you've got another person and they can interact and you could have some sort of side story or B well, story or whatever. She's a member of the, the people that live on the train who are not in the tail end, but believe that the people in the tail end should be liberated so they can live on the train. Ah, nuance. There's none of that in this film at all. Right. They've essentially, in the film, they've taken her character and his character and smooshed them together into the Chris Evans character. Mm-hmm. Did you mention that there's hard-boiled eggs in this movie there's with, a whole, with there's bullets a, hidden in them? Yeah, there's like a whole wagon of hard-boiled eggs there's, for reasons. There's a grade school teacher that shoots an Uzi at people. She's pregnant. Yeah, a pregnant teacher who shoots She's an crazy Uzi and pregnant. Yeah. yeah. And we didn't mention that. There's like, and the children, like, they're, like, dabbing and stuff in yeah, the classroom. Yeah, there's, there's dabbing. There's yeah. dabbing. They've in got, the, like, a whole, like, cheerleader routine they do. And Oh, I'm dying. I just can't go on any longer. I hate this movie. I hate it. I hate it so much. I hate that people I know and like liked this movie. That bothers me. It's like finding out one of your friends is a Trump supporter. It's like, how can I ever, how can I ever be friends with that person again? Because they liked this. That's how much I hate this movie. Mm -hmm. I just, I have to put that out of my mind and say like, obviously something about my personality, it just, I can't say anything more. I just can't. I can't. The thing that bothers me the most about this movie is that it clearly thinks it deserves to be art, and it's not. And it makes me mad because it it feels. I there are a number of times in this movie when somebody starts to monologue, and you can tell that we are expected to feel something for that person, or that we are expected to like stand back and be like, oh. You know, this person deserves my sympathy or my pity or my, you know, my uh, adoration or my, you know, support or whatever. And you listen to them monologuing this like contrived saccharine sap story, pity party, whatever. And it, it makes you angry instead because it's like, no movie, you don't deserve what you are trying to do. It reminds me of when burlesque performers are on stage doing their routines and they stop and they turn to the audience and they motion with their hands like, give me your applause. Give me your applause. I'm not going to continue my routine unless you clap for me. I don't hear you. And it pisses me off when they do that, too. So you don't deserve it, movie. Not one bit. Children do not run trains. Yeah, fucker. They say you stand by your man. Tell me something I don't understand. You said you love me, and that's a fact. And then you left me, said you felt trapped. Well, some things you can't explain away.
Thanks for listening to Cinema Super Collider. Follow us on Twitter at Cinema Supercast or join our Facebook community where we post early warnings about our upcoming movie selections and also invite you to join our film discussions. You can email us questions, comments, and suggestions for future shows at cinemasupercast at gmail.com. If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. See you next time. These things the most I've seen all my dreams come tumbling down. I can't be happy without you around. So alone I keep the wolves at bay. And there's only one thing I can say. You didn't stand by me. No, not at all. You didn't stand by me. No way. You didn't stand by me. No, not at all. You didn't stand by me. No way. You must explain why this must be.